You're listening to Immaculate Conception Podcasts, recorded every Sunday at the 11 o'clock Mass at our new church located at 411 Palma Road in Columbia, Illinois. For more information about Immaculate Conception, please go to www.icc-columbia-il.us. Our pastor is Father Carl Shear. And now, enjoy the podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Everybody in our country, and certainly in our region, is starting to get all pumped up about the eclipse of the sun a week from tomorrow. Uh, I got up this morning and went out on my front porch and picked up the copy of the Belleville News Democrat, and there were two or three articles about the eclipse already, eight days yet to go. And one of the most interesting ones to me was uh, how the ancient Native Americans who lived in what is now Cahokia, the Mounds area, uh, would have experienced an eclipse uh, not having any scientific knowledge whatsoever. In fact, we know from um, uh, astronomy that there was one around the year 900 or so. They left no records, but you could just about guess how they reacted to it. Um, and when I got out on my way here, I bought my Sunday copy of the Post-Dispatch because I'm addicted to the New York Times crossword puzzle. But in the Post-Dispatch today, there is not just a few articles, there's an entire section. And it's called Your Guide to the Eclipse. And I can't wait this afternoon to get home and see what's all in that little piece of work. Uh, uh, We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, People in ancient times, of course, uh, viewed natural disasters and strange phenomena like this uh, as the gods were angry. Something was going wrong with the way things were operating, and they had to turn to religion to get it straightened out. Um, and so um, that's uh, uh, here, but we've, we've sort of got science and technology pretty much in control of things. Even when we can't avoid things, we know how to at least get through them. The only place I would suggest that they don't figure it out is out in California. I, I suggest you not move there <laughs> unless you like earthquakes. Uh, mudslides, wildfires, God knows what else. Uh, They seem to have a bad habit of having all these things occur. But for most of us, natural phenomena are pretty much under control and predictable. And I'm just amazed uh, with this uh, eclipse thing, how so far in advance they know exactly to the second when it's going to start and when it's going to end. There are maps uh, that you can see, they know down to the inch where it's going to be a total eclipse. And I find that just absolutely amazing that mathematics and science and everything else can achieve that level of uh, predictability. It certainly, um, I would think, probably puts the question in your mind, when you got that kind of control, who needs God? Who needs religion? And I think 
Today's scriptures, at least two of them, give us a nice little meditation on this very idea. In the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah was told, go out there to the entrance of your cave and stand there and pay attention. The Lord is going to be passing by. And Elijah had to learn something about where he should see the presence of God. And uh, if you heard that scripture, first thing, uh, there, was a, there was a strong wind. That's pretty powerful. God was not in the wind. Then there was um, uh, an earthquake. Can't beat that for uh, top, top drawer uh, drama. God was not in the earthquake. Then I think fire, same result. They might have also added a tsunami and a flood and who knows what else. But then the conclusion was Elijah was, was taught to listen carefully and to experience God in what the scripture calls a tiny whispering sound. The lesson is quite plain. God is more often present to us in quiet, uh, undramatic ways than he is in all these, uh, these big flashy displays of nature. Um, and I think we need to remind ourselves that that is as true today with our science as it was 3,000 years ago. Then we get this lovely story of the new, in the New Testament where Jesus walks on the water. Well, he was the Messiah, the Son of God, no problem for Jesus. But then Peter, who, you know, always um, talked and acted about a minute or two before his brain kicked in. He says, I, well, who needs God? I can do this too. And out he got out of the boat, and then for a couple steps, he was pretty cool. But then fear took over, and Jesus had to rescue him from his own stupidity. Um, and Peter, too, learned a lesson of faith that... Um, uh, it's not by walking on water or doing any kind of magical tricks um, that uh, God's presence is brought to our lives. It's in the quiet, normal, human ways that we interact with each other. So I think probably a good lesson on this Sunday, eight days before the eclipse, um, I think it's important for us to maybe draw a religious lesson from this. Not many people will, by the way, I assure you. Um, uh, but before we um, think that we're so far advanced before primitive peoples, I would suggest to you that uh, just look at our own false gods, especially the one that uh, the theologian Harvey Cox describes in his new book, The Market as God. I can absolutely promise you when I go home and look at that uh, section in the Post-Dispatch this afternoon, there will be at least 50 to 100 ways that people are making money on the eclipse. It's the market. Why should they not? There are going to be eclipse t-shirts. There are going to be eclipse horns and balloons and who knows what. And I predict that next Sunday, Father Carl will have an eclipse hat. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just the way it works. Uh, have some nice thing, that, like a, a, a natural phenomenon, 
People are going to camp around the edges and they're going to set up shop and they're going to milk it for all it's got in it. And they're going to have eclipse parties and eclipse pizzas and who knows what. So uh, let's just face it. We're just as guilty of, of looking for God in the wrong places as the Cahokia Mounds people were a thousand years ago. Uh, so what should, what should be our attitude? Well, I think, first of all, we should praise and thank God that uh, these wonderful things uh, uh, can be shared with us through science and technology and use it as an occasion to give praise in God, praise to God. I have been pretty much a sourpuss. I'm predicting that uh, a week from tomorrow is going to be a heavy overcast day. <laughs> and all the people are making big bucks on this are going to be uh, somewhat disappointed. But we'll see where that goes. Um, but anyway, clouds or no clouds, there's going to be an eclipse, and it's part of the way God engineered this entire universe, which works so beautifully. And with our knowledge, we're able to share in it. Um, so we should thank God for big things, but also not forget the small, tiny, whispering ways that God is present to us. It's a lesson to us that we should live every day of our lives, not just once every 900 years or so in the presence of God, but live every day in the presence of God and be very sensitive and attuned to the way God is present to us, not in big displays of power as a rule, but in tiny whispering ways, especially when people care for one another. So like the apostles in that boat, uh, when Jesus was walking in the water, he tells us, don't be afraid. Uh, nature is here to help us, not to be our enemy. But at the same time, let's not get too cocky and overconfident about things either. Realize that God is still in charge of the universe and likely will be until the last trumpet goes off. So why did you come to church this morning? Uh, I hope you don't expect me with this contraption to walk on water. I'm having enough trouble with solid floors. Uh, we came because we experienced God in the presence of one another, in the words that we have shared together, uh, in the bread and wine that is going to become the body and blood of Christ. None of these is very spectacular in the eyes of the world, but these are the way that God is present to us and we give praise and thanks. Amen.